0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. A couple of great guests coming up in a few moments. We will visit with a uh, co- congressman, new to my show, Congressman Kevin Hearn. He's been in Congress a couple years, uh, and we'll visit with him. He's on the Republican Study Committee, the head of the uh, Budget uh, Committee there. We'll talk with him about that work, uh, which is a sort of shadow uh, conservative group that comes up with legislation. And then we'll speak with Carol Markowitz, uh, the great rep- um, columnist of the New York Post. Host, who is great on Twitter. So Carol Markowitz, will talk with her and get an update. All right. And don't forget, please visit dot com, And you can get all these interviews we're doing. There's standalone links. And also sign up for the daily email right there and you will get... Um In your inbox, 5 a.m. Pacific time, every single morning, Monday through Friday, you'll get what you need to know. A couple of links, a couple of uh, key points, data points, and we'll hone in on what matters to you. And let me tell you today what matters to you. I'm kind of, there's many things we could talk about, but I want to point out to you a corruption in our system that is probably one of the greater threats that we have. So when you see the size and scope of government, you say, wow, you know, government's grown so ridiculously much in the last 40, 50 years. And there's so much money awash and all, you know, the people that have influence, lobbyists and others are making tons of money. You say, boy, that's a big corruption problem. And then you say, well, they changed the campaign finance laws so that if you want to run for office, you have all this tons of money and you have outside entities, super PACs and PACs and ding, dang dongs and all these things. Right. So all this stuff. That's a lot of money and a lot of big businesses and a lot of stuff. So a lot of corruption, small C. Those are all true. Those are all threats in a way. Those are all problems. When the the government in Washington, D.C. has become so dominant and so huge in money and in power... Then they it draws the influence, so it's a problem. And when the politicians are running for office and the campaigns are so expensive and they need the money, all that. So it's a big problem. But I would submit to you that one of the worst uh, corruptions in our system right now is the fact that the left, predominantly, and some in the just the center and even some on the right, I suppose, but on the left you see it most starkly. They figured out how to corrupt our justice system to reward themselves. Now, the, the best example I can give of this, the one that is most important for you to understand, is when we, after the election in 2020, when there was a lengthy report, uh, excuse me, lengthy reporting, not a report, uh, lengthy reporting done by, I think, Time Magazine. And it was, Time Magazine was um, uh, this incredibly lengthy expose, I might be getting it wrong, could have been Newsweek, I don't even know, uh, about how there was a network of democrat uh politicians and politicos and a- activists and they were quote fortifying the election so that it would go the way they wanted that's what they said and when you watched that and you read about it and you said wow what is this you know what are these people doing they were they were working to change the laws in states they were you know doing all these things and what you learned if you looked closer was one of the key tactics that they undertook was democrat lawyers would go into a state And they would sue in a friendly court where their opponent of the lawsuit was a friend. So you go into Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and you sue. You're a Democrat lawyer. You sue and you want more access and less restrictions and no more signature verification and more uh, early voting. And the person across the table from you in the lawsuit is not only a... um, not only the uh it was not only the uh a democrat the clerk let's say so let's say democrats go into court in montgomery county and they sue the local election official i think it's the clerk that's a democrat and now they're sitting across from each other and saying we need more access we need more access and so the clerk says okay i'll give it to you and then the judge says also a democrat says great i'll sign off on this agreement there won't even be any contention everybody's getting along isn't this great And so you had the situation where by targeting where you sued, where you knew you needed to have friends, you moved. And it's a corruption of the system because the system is supposed to require this sort of um, antagonism that is – uh, is uh, necessary to get the right results because the person or persons who are supposed to decide the election rules are the state legislature and they set up the rules but here comes a Democrat law- lawyer and a Democrat county clerk and they say we'll change them and the judge says okay went up, went up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court also Democrats and nothing happened. Now that is a tactic that was done particularly well. Flash forward to today over the weekend you had the announcement that the 700 protesters, rioters during the Trump inauguration four and a half years ago, I guess just a little over four years ago, four years and two months ago, had sued as part of a class action and sued the District of Columbia for mistreating them, arresting them incorrectly and being too uh, being too uh, broad in their in their detaining policies or whatever else. And so what did you get? It's a friendly opposition. So 700 Democrat liberal protesters, anti-Trump, sue in D.C. And D.C. says, oh, we'll just pay you. And so they pay them just about uh, close to $2 million for protesting. So they're able to make it lucrative. They're able to make it uh, worthwhile to engage in this behavior, let alone be uh, law enforced. My point here is when the legal system is breaking down, when the legal system is not uh holding itself together it's a huge threat to our republic because the republic required that the rules be passed through a legislature that they be you know uh enforced uh by the executive whatever the branch and then that then that, that the ju- judiciary does a review and that it's all relatively Unrigged, you know, relatively even. Nobody can say any legal system is ever perfect because there's always some, you know, preferences. It's human beings are involved. But when the system becomes so clearly gamed and so clearly rigged, it's a major problem. It's, you know, I'm reminded, by the way, this is obviously doesn't just extend to money. It doesn't just extend to elections. We've seen in the last five years that there's been this movement to elect people, uh, 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 prosecutors in Philadelphia, St. Louis, other places where and where I live now in northern Virginia, Fairfax County, where they are just they're using what is technically their right. Prosecutorial discretion, but they're using it so uh, ideologically it's undermining we the people and uh, better it's undermining our system the system is supposed to be fairer more um, sort of more evenly uh, sort of managed it's not supposed to be able to be corrupted like that it's a huge threat you know we've we watched um, General Flynn and his targeting you know it's often referred to as lawfare when you're targeting an individual but but that seems um, in some ways um, that seems sort of obvious compared to what i'm talking about because people don't even notice this and by the way this happens in the regulatory framework too you'll have uh, certain left-wing groups sue the biden administration knowing they can get the biden administration to cave and give them the agreement they want and now you're locked into a, a situation where you have a ruling or a consent decree or an agreement between the parties that is going to be binding into the future again it's not legislation passed by people who are duly elected and it's not review, it's not reviewed. It is reviewable, but it's not reviewed very easily. It's a huge threat. It's a huge threat. And it's happening more and more. And it's getting bolder and bolder. It is becoming uh, bolder and bolder. The approach, uh, um, that, that, that this, that you're seeing here. And when it's so blatant that it's money transferred, it makes you crazy. But when you think about what happened with the elections, again, I don't even know. And I don't even know what the results could have been if there'd been real uh sort of adversarial representation in these places. Now, one of the things you get a pushback, someone says, well, where are the Republicans? You know, the Republicans or the conservatives should have jumped into those lawsuits. That's a fair enough point. If the if the if the Trump admit if the Trump campaign had been a little sharper, they might have jumped into some of those uh cases. That's probably right. That's not it's not an entirely unfair uh accusation, but what is true Is the people who are um, in the system, the people, judges and lawyers, they're supposed to have a higher calling. They're supposed to be playing a role in our American life that is sort of special and big. And they're not supposed to be broken and crass and moral, immoral or amoral. They're supposed to be better than that. So we're watching somehow this uh, disintegration of the legal system, or maybe say it better, the disintegration of the of the legal um, of the legal duty of sort of American you know greatness, and it's becoming transactional just for power. That's the reality. And by the way, one last thing, watch the media coverage of it. The media coverage makes it sound like it's all the most glorious stuff that, oh yeah, we're, you know, settling for $2 million and all these things. The, the narrative machine goes into overdrive to make it seem like what they're doing is great. It's a terrible thing. So that's my observation. That's what you need to know. Are right, we going to take a break? When we come back, we'll talk first with Carol Markowitz. I just figured that out. She'll be up first. And after that, we'll talk with Congressman Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma's first congressional district. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a pro America report. Be back in a moment we Welcome back, Ed Martin. Here in a pro America report, our next guest is Carol Markowitz, and she, of course, writes at the New York Post. She's a columnist there. She contributes, o- con- excuse me, contributes over at the Spectator as well as D.C. Examiner, and she has a very active and effective, dare I say, a Twitter feed. But I saw last week, and I wanted to grab her and talk about this. It's a few days old, but I thought this was a great one. And this was the title of her column in the New York Post was "Let's Break Our Amazon Addiction and Start Saving Local Small Businesses." So, welcome back, Carol. How are you? Thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me. So before I get to Amazon and your column, uh you're in New York City. Are you still in New York City right now? Like are you there right now in New York City? Uh
2: I'm in Florida right now, but I'm I'm still okay. based in New York City.
0: <laughs> okay. So how is New York City yeah, like, like, holding up now? Florida. <laughs> exactly. The whole world's in Florida. Uh how's New York City holding up right now? Tell tell us the uh tell us the reality on the ground in New York, at least from what you're hearing and what you live through.
2: So, you know, it just seems like New Yorkers are not ready to get back to normal. Um, Some of the schools have opened, the elementary schools have opened for full-time classes, but it's, it's definitely not all the schools, middle and high school, are still not open largely, or they do Zoom in a room where the kids come in and the teacher Zooms in from home. Um, And the mask mandate, you know, is still uh, the the CDC releasing new mask guidelines. New Yorkers haven't really taken to that um, too much. So it's been mm -hmm. sort of a mixed bag.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, Carol, this this column you wrote in the New York Post, Uh, how, how do you now? you're a pretty keen observer of people. It's kind of what you do as a columnist and you write about it. And you talk about your own experience of having during all this period last year and a few months, everybody did. I mean, we did in my family, you know, Amazon yeah. this, Amazon mm-hmm. that free shipping. But how do you right. break a habit like that? Because it, it, we, you know, I'm being serious. My wife and I were talking about this column the other day and I was telling her I was going to have you on and we talked about how Walmart does a, does a terrible job compared to Amazon on its delivery. Like we've had zero right. mess ups with Amazon and twice we've had Walmart deliver a package like shampoo with conditioner or yeah. maybe shampoo without right. the conditioner or something like that. How how do you how like, how do you change a habit that, that's been so effective?
2: Yeah. So for me, I've uh, started to buy much more just in person. Um, the thing is, it, it's a it's a double reason that I think we should break our uh, Amazon you know, purchasing. For one thing, I think we need to support our small businesses. I think it's our patriotic duty right now to bring them back post pandemic. Um, but the other thing is, is that you know, for conservatives, we know that Amazon has too much control. We watch them do things that are you know sort of authoritarian and, and downright scary, and you know so at, at, from that perspective i think that we we have to stop buying from amazon lest they control too much of our lives the problem with that though is that walmart is also becoming quite woke and so are a lot of these other big companies so in a lot of ways it makes more sense to shop locally and to support the small businesses from both the the perspective of helping our communities but also helping our society and and you know moving on from amazon's control
0: it's so uh, we're talking with Carol Markowitz on Twitter. She, by the way, she's at Carol at K A R O L, the coolest uh, Twitter handle. And <laughs> but I, and and so and so and but here and I agree with you. All those things are right, but it's like when I tell my friends that are really conservative, at, you know that um, you know that that uh, and they're really like they're they're ad, they're they're anxious to do better and all. And then I say, yeah. So you know you can't watch uh, Amazon Prime like it's killing you. You can't you can't spend <laughs> right, all your yeah. time on Netflix mm-hmm. and it's. Ca-, and they're like, well. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, so it really is kind of this. You know, there was a phrase in a in a great book, and and I want to mention before, so don't let me slip away, Carol, without um, talking about how on Twitter people are telling you to go back to your country, which I love this, this yeah. say, when they say this to you. But <laughs> but there's a there was a great there was a great book called The Road Ahead by John T. Flynn mm-hmm. in 19 I think 59, and it was about he coined the term creeping socialism, and there's nothing yeah. creeping anymore. It's kind of sweep sweeping mm-hmm. socialism, but but the point right. is that we're, we're we're sort of the creeping uh, Amazon. It's become a part of our lives. I, I mean, I, I wish yeah. I didn't have Amazon Prime, but I do. So how do you mm-hmm. break that habit? Right. Well, I would just say you don't have to do it cold turkey.
2: It could be a a slow progression. I can't say that I've cut out everything. We still do use Amazon Prime Video. We still use Amazon Music. But my shopping on Amazon has decreased significantly. I think, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, who cares? Amazon's not going to care that you stop buying, you know, household items on Amazon. But again, the purpose is not as much to bring down Amazon, though that helps. It's... It's to boost up our local businesses. Um, And so, you know, I don't think you need to do it overnight. I don't think you need to be perfect. I think that we can start small and I think we can have these companies um, at least somewhat uh, conform a little bit more to our free values. So that's where I am. I, I don't think we need to be perfect.
0: Yeah, well, and so, all right. So now back to this. Uh, on Twitter, I watched this exchange, and yeah. and you were born in the in the where were you born? You're younger than I am. So were you were you in the so born in the Soviet Union or was yeah, it already in the broken Soviet up? Soviet
2: Union. Yes. No. I was born in the Soviet Union. I was born in seventy seven, and I came to the U.S. in late seventy
0: eight. And so you get these these liberals that are yeah. saying to go back to your country. Don't you love this? Tell yeah. me about that thing.
2: Yeah, so I get that all the time um, I Especially, I feel like during the election I got that a lot And it was always like somebody with like I love immigrants in my, in, you know, in their bio It was always like, the, resi- <laughs> the resistance right. loves immigrants So that became sort of my joke Like every time somebody would say something like that to me I'd, I'd retweet it with, the resistance loves immigrants um, I got it a lot today, I don't know I, I had a column um about not, not kids not not needing to wear masks anymore and people got really riled right. up about it and told me to go back to my country so i i often retweeted it. it doesn't bother me you know america's my country i'm super proud to be here and you know every july wow. i talk about how how lucky i am <laughs> with the day that we arrived
0: here Right. Well, it's not a distinguishing characteristic on the left to be hypocritical. I like how I often say about politicians too. You know that if you're a politician, you're going to be hypocritical. About that column, by the way, my wife, who I may have uh, you may have heard me talk about, she's an uh, internal medicine doctor, specializes in geriatrics. But I bet a year ago, right about now, a year ago, she read one of the earliest um, uh, cover, one of the earliest uh, studies of children. I think it was in Australia, and she said to me, "It doesn't look like they're vectors. In other words, the kids aren't the ones that are moving the disease. It doesn't look like it was a factor." And now all these years months later finally they're saying you know take the masks off the kids outside carol i mean you've you've seen it and you heard it your mom but have we i mean can you imagine what we've done to these kids i mean forget as you know kids soak up how you are much more than what you say or do they just kind of feel it and right now it's got to feel to like america's kids that they're like a football like with lucy and charlie brown
2: well i I I'm even more than that, I think like kids would understand if we explained to them like, oh you're you know this is really dangerous for you and we must keep you masked but it's not, and you know look at mm-hmm. Europe there Europe has much tougher lockdowns than than we had in America, and they continue to have these lockdowns, yet they largely don't mask kids under eleven or twelve. We start our masking at two that is crazy every time you see a toddler being dragged off a plane, that's happening in America because the rest of the world is not doing that, so it's You know, if it it was something that was dangerous for kids, first of all, they would have also been the first to be vaccinated. You know, if if kids, if this was a real risk for kids, we would have put them at the front of the line. But we didn't do that because it's not a giant risk for kids. Kids are much more at risk from the regular flu or swimming pool or suicide or any number of other things.
0: (sighs) It, so but and then now and now the broader question which I know how you'll go, but I want to hear how you say it I mean then why are we doing it just to make each other crazy to make Fine. people crazy I mean it, it, to make people fearful at this point is it a yeah. is it neurosis on the part of the leadership what what why are we doing this
2: no, I think people were scared, and they were not given the correct information by Dr. Fauci or the CDC. You know, we, there was a segment last week with Savannah Guthrie and Dr. Fauci, uh, it was today's show or something, um, and she said, well, you know, now that I'm, I don't have to wear a mask outside, my child still does. She misunderstood the CDC guidelines. There's no exception for children. CDC said both vaccinated and unvaccinated people don't have to wear a mask outside anymore. Savannah Guthrie misunderstood right. it, and Dr. Fauci did not correct her he was on the show and seemed to also misunderstand the guidance so this is you know this is our leadership and they don't even know what they're talking about so if the parents need to do the right thing for their kids the masks need to go and i think we need to move on
0: do you think, um, observing people, that at a certain point after all this, that it will sort of break? Like, and people will just say, that's it. We've all had enough. And they'll sort of give up the effort to cut. Co- I mean, are we coming to the point where, you know, people realizing more and more, hey, I'm going to be smart about my grandma and I'm going to be smart about my cousin who has leukemia. But a- after that, I'm just going to stop this. Do you think we're there? I mean, today or yesterday, they on the Sunday shows, they floated that um, I think it was the Sunday shows that they may not go back to school next fall person because there's just so much uncertainty i mean are they serious
2: that's been my concern all along if you look at uh, at the map of where schools are back they're really just not back in in super blue coastal areas so it's completely because the anti-science teachers unions don't want don't want the the kids back in the classroom and are doing everything they can to stop that so it it has nothing to do with science and obviously and i think that parents need to push back at this point, like right now, today, for September. Uh, if your school is not open today full-time, there's a very good chance it's not going to be open in September either. Nothing really changes between then now and then. Uh, and I've been saying that the whole time. I've been very worried about September. And so many people say to me, like, oh, don't worry, I'll be, I'll be fine by then. But, like, I don't see the evidence of that. It's been a year plus of, you know, hearing that any minute now the kids will go back to school and they still have it
0: yeah it is um, it is uh, it 's going to be w- wild to see i don 't know if the p- public will handle it if if they don 't go back to school all right well, Carol Mankowitz, thank you very much for uh, coming on. Thanks for all thank your writing. You, you do a great job, and people have really grown uh, to rely on you Carol Markowitz. I think I just mispronounced your last name sorry thank uh, you, and uh, <laughs> and get, get come back from Florida and sort out new york there 's yes. a lot still to sort <laughs> out there, so thank you Carol right,
2: thank you so much,
0: Ed. Uh, All right, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back, everybody. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the pro America report. Our next guest is a very uh, privilege to have him on. I haven't had him on the show before. Congressman Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma's first congressional district. And we were just talking off the air. I was saying, you know, I've gotten a few emails and, and I guess it's two emails I can think of over the weekend. And then I was having a texting exchange with another, another person, uh, and, um, and about the debt, about the American, the debt that our government's running up. And for years, decades, we talked about how the debt could crash. And suddenly, nobody seems to talk about it. So we're going to ask Congressman Kevin Hearn now, before I get to that... Uh, Congressman Hearn, it's very important for you to know. The late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked, believed that every uh, person, if they go to college, should get an engineering degree before they go on, because (laughs) engineering or maybe accounting or math, because you can't really do too much critical race theorizing in engineering and math and all. So you have a degree in engineering, and then you did go on to get an MBA. So uh, And you even were a rocket scientist, I guess, for a while. So congratulations on doing that right. Uh, But tell me about what's your sense of this? this country, um, Congressman Hearn, we're spending more money than we could ever imagine.
1: Yes. uh, You know, the person that got me interested in politics about 20 years ago was uh, then a congressman leaving the House, and that was Tom Coburn. And when he ran for Senate, no four. I'm a private pilot. i flew him all over the state. Got to understand a lot about what was going on in Washington, D.C. And the problem is, it's not just Democrats, it's Republicans, too. This sensational appetite to spend and not have the revenues to cover it—something that no American could ever do. And so, when I ran for Congress, I ran on the idea that we would rein in our fiscal house, and that we would get government out of the way of job creators, so we could put Americans to work. And you know, we got half of that right uh, under President Trump. You know, we had to rebuild our military; we spent a lot of money doing that. And President Trump said, "Should I get elected, and when I get elected, I will get after the national debt." So I was—I was encouraged to see us get after you know, rebuilding our military, uh, you know, having peace through strength. And then, you know, I was looking really forward to uh, my role as the budget chairman of the Republican Study Committee, the most conservative group, largest caucus in Congress, uh, Congressman banks entrusted me with that budget chairmanship. And I've, it's been a real joy to work on that. And we will produce a budget. We'll probably be the only group in Congress, all of the United States Congress that will produce a budget.
0: Right. And that that is, you're right about that. Republican Study Committee, it's really, uh, and people, our listeners may know, well, the Freedom Caucus, Freedom Caucus is guys, and they're really good, but they're they're sort of battlers. It's more politics than policy. And the uh, RSC is really policy. And and as you mentioned, Congressman Banks, our old friend who's the chairman, has been working hard. Now, I do want to point out this. You were sworn in to fill a, a vacancy. So you were sworn in for, and for like 60 days, you were in the majority, right? And in 2018, like November, December, and then bam, you got Speaker Pelosi. Scene. You must have said, Gosh, I came up here to do <laughs> something different than this. But but how how much of what you're doing now in terms of a budget and articulating these principles is about trying to show to the american people what the contrast could be if you were if you all had control of the house i mean it's got to be a big part and how do you overcome some of the distrust right a lot of the the sort i call them the maga maga up you know maga ad voters came to it and they don't really trust anybody so you got to sort of sell it to them again right
1: well, it's very frustrating to see what the uh, left lead, uh, left-leaning liberal media is doing as far as not calling out uh, Speaker Pelosi for just the sheer hypocrisy. Uh, one of the things that I did in my, I'm on Ways and Means, I'm actually on the Tax Policy Writing Committee now, just got on there in January, but the first two years, I was on small business, I was on budget and natural resources, but on the budget committee, I really thought I was at a place, you know, as a, as a freshman that I could really work on us working toward a budget uh, we produced the budget in 2019, Speaker Pelosi's return to the leadership. We produced it in the budget committee only to see Speaker Pelosi cower down to the left, to the AOCs of the world, to the squad, to the progressive socialists, saying she would not put it on the floor for a full vote, even though, uh, you know, it, we, at least we passed that out when she, should, she could have gotten up, up or down vote. But what she found out was is that the progressives didn't want her to spend any money. In fact, they wanted her to cut the defense budget. And then last year, my, my second ter- second year uh, of my first term, we were on the budget committee, I was, and, and we didn't even produce a budget. Speaker Pelosi did not want a budget. There was not a budget produced this year. So literally since I've been in Congress, uh, I, I'm pretty confident that the budget that I produce uh, out of my leadership and out of the team I have on the Republican Study Committee in about three weeks will be the only budget since I've been in Congress that will have been produced. And it will balance in less than 10 years. And it will get after uh, correcting the spending more than we take in every year.
0: We're talking with uh, Congressman Kevin Hearn, who's the uh, congressman from Oklahoma's first congressional district. He also is the budget chair on the Republican Study Committee, kind of a shadow uh, government in terms of the ideas factory and all. Um, so, uh, back, let me segue back. I didn't necessarily push on the answer. So you're going to do a budget. It's, I, I'm sure, sure it's going to be uh, balanced and it's going to be more realistic. But what about this debt? I mean, you, you ran, you know, I didn't, I, I, I stepped over some of your things. You're an entrepreneur. You started kind of your own small business. Uh, doing different kinds of computer stuff. And then you ran a bunch of McDonald's also. Um, uh, in fact, I think I think this sentence, which is on your biography, we're talking with Kevin Herm. Kevin Herm might not be in anybody's ever. It says in 1997, Kevin literally sold the hog farm to buy his first <laughs> McDonald's restaurant. So but so you've done all these things in the normal world. But I, how are you going to get the spending down of a, of, a, of a of an entity that is just totally? Uh, it, it doesn't seem to go any direction. Even as we talk about uh, President Trump, he did lots of good stuff, but he also spent a ton.
1: He did spend a ton. In- you know, in 1974, the Budget Control Act uh, was put in place to let the president start putting out a budget so we see directly where his leadership wanted to go. House and Senate had to produce budgets, reconcile those budgets, produce the 12 appropriations bill, the overarching budget, 12 appropriations bills, and have those all reconciled so we could fund the government before October 1 to start the new fiscal year. That's only been done four times since 1974. The last time that was done was in 1996. For the 1997 year, co- ironically or coincidentally, or it just shows you budgets matter. The next four years we ran budget surpluses. That was the last time that was done. So the, to get spending under control, you've got to hold everybody accountable to the budget. You know, Ed, nowhere else in America, not at your local, not at your family level, not at your county, your city or your state, do you get away with not doing a budget? The taxpayers demand it. Right. The American taxpayers can change this by demanding their members of Congress reduce a budget get the appropriations bill done on time so we stop this you know this last minute 11th hour holding people to the to the fire about you know this incredible spending and doing these continuing resolutions spending money wildly, like wildly like we did the previous year and you never get them under control but you can't ever reduce your debt until you stop the deficits you know that are a trillion dollars a year. And it's insane when we're looking out that right now Congress is uh, the the Congress actually deals with about 25 percent, maybe 30 percent of all tax money taken in. So the four and a half trillion dollars of the budget, only about 25 to 30 percent is all you see the arguing on. All the rest of the budgets on autopilot, Social Security, Medicare, the safety net programs, those are all on autopilot in just 10 years that's going to be down to about 15 to 20 percent will be all we're we're talking about and arguing about. So pretty soon, in about 15 years, the entire budget, as we see it today, will be consumed by bills that are on autopilot. And we've got to address the hard things. We've got to look at Medicare. We've got to look at Social Security. We've got to look at the safety net programs. We can't be doing what Joe Biden is doing right now, wanting to spend more money on social, social services, giving free education, free child care, you know, for giving all this debt, we simply do not have the wherewithal to do that with the amount of taxpayer dollars. We'll, we'll take all the taxpayer dollars and still not have enough. Hmm.
0: Uh, we're talking with Congressman Kevin Hearn, uh, Oklahoma's 1st District. Well, excuse me, one last question, uh, Congressman, about uh, you were an aerospace engineer, and I'm, I'm, you know, uh, so you were a, uh, you know, you you're, you're a worked on in space, a uh, rocket scientist. But, um, you know, the President Trump, Got that space force going. The recent announcement that Kamala Harris in her, in a kind of automatic duty will serve as, I think, the chairman of the space council, which other Democrats have eliminated. So that's a good sign. But really, if we don't control space, this is national security in my mind. China will. And whoever controls space in the next 50 to 75 years, control, if it's a good guy, us, it'll be fine, right? The world will be, you know, relatively peaceful, like when we control the seas. I mean, you, you might, you might quibble with some of our decisions if you're a foreign nation, but Generally, we don't dominate the world. If China controls space, we're in deep trouble. I mean, isn't this an expense we're going to have to do in a big way?
1: Well, you're exactly right. And that's why we don't need to be doing all these other things. We need to be looking at who is trying to take us over. We're doing all this inward fighting while outside China is taking over with their belt and road projects across South America, South Africa, and now into space. Uh, Congressman Bridenstine, Administrator minister is a good friend of mine. And I've talked about this numerous times. When we put out there, just like we're doing in Afghanistan that we're leaving, we're leaving Afghanistan or we're leaving the International Space Station, China now is going to all of those suppliers and saying, look, the United States is abandoning you. Come to us. We're going to be there forever. So you can supply us forever. So we have no strategies. Uh, The Biden administration, you know, Trump, President Trump knew this. This is when he pushed on uh, allowing privatization when we see with SpaceX and others and this is why we have to do this you know let nasa do the deep space exploration but on our low earth orbit issues and our protection of space uh, we need to have privatization Uh, we can have our military involved in this and but buying rides on private uh, facilities private rockets and but we're not doing that we're taking all the taxpayer dollars to go do some of this crazy spending that joe Biden's want to do just for for your folks to remember before they leave here four and a half trillion dollars is our budget this is what we're spending already and, and Biden, President Biden, wants to spend another $6.2 trillion on top of that just this year. So over $10.7 trillion. That is a 50% increase in our debt just in the last 24 months. It cannot happen. Uh, we, we, we're thankful for people like Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema right now for pushing back on this.
0: Yeah, it is. um Boy, it uh, it is an incredible time. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much. Uh, again, Congressman Kevin Hearn. If you go to Hearn dot house dot gov, you can learn more about him. And I'll put that up there. And again, the Republican Study Committee uh led by Congressman Banks and Kevin Hearn. There is the budget chair. It's a, it's a group that does a lot of uh a lot of deep thinking and then a lot of creating the taking the deep thinking into policy, which is the thing that's a uh, value add. So thanks very much, Congressman Hearn. We appreciate your time.
1: Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it.
0: All right, we'll take a break, everybody. When we come back, we've got a lot more. And also, you can go over if, you, if you're if you interested in this interview, I post it over at proamericareport.com. There's also a couple interviews with Congressman Banks over there of the Republican Study Committee. You can catch up on all that and sign up for the daily email that goes out from there, the Pro America Report. You just go fill in your email list. There's a, 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 a easy way to fill it out. I don't sell it, rent it, do anything with it. So sign up there. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report, back in a moment.
1: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
0: Nobody likes a traitor. That's just as true in politics as it is anywhere else. Plenty of Republicans were willing to take campaign funds raised using President Donald Trump's name, but some of those politicians were equally happy to turn their backs on Trump by voting in favor of the sham impeachment in early January. There are also Republicans who did not vote for impeachment, but unnecessarily criticized Trump with Democrat talking points. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell are two prime examples of this treachery. Trump was enormously generous to McConnell, even making his Taiwan-born wife Elaine Chao an early member of Trump's cabinet as Transportation Secretary. Trump also went to Kentucky to campaign for McConnell, which helped McConnell's reelection without benefit to Trump, who was already sure to carry Kentucky by a landslide. Despite these obvious gestures of goodwill, McConnell ranted on the Senate floor against Donald Trump earlier this year. While McConnell spoke out against Trump after the election, it turns out that his wife was being referred to the Department of Justice for possible prosecution based on how she exploited her Trump appointed position for the benefit of herself and her own family members. The DOJ, mercifully, declined to prosecute. Meanwhile, President Trump transformed Nikki Haley from the governor of South Carolina to a national conservative icon. As President Trump's ambassador to the United Nations, Haley had an international platform to do good work and make herself a household name. She was loved by conservatives everywhere. Her future in politics was bright. President Trump supported her every step of the way, Yet Haley responded by denigrating Trump in an interview with Politico. Haley may think that criticizing her old boss is going to make her more edgy and relevant, but she's sorely mistaken. Conservatives stand with Trump. It's a sad and simple fact of life that trying to appease the left never works. They will never be satisfied, no matter how many olive branches you extend. That includes leftists disguised as Republicans.
1: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we think it's time to take Washington back from the power brokers. At PhyllisSchlafly.com, we're organizing a grassroots movement to stand against the deep state bureaucrats who control government. For the latest strategies, go to PhyllisSchlafly.com. That's PhyllisSchlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
0: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Now, let me tell you something. This is going to be interesting to you. As you may know, many of our listeners know, um, that I am a lawyer and that I clerked for the Court of Appeals in Kansas City on the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, the Federal Court of Appeals. And I did practice law for a number of years. I don't don't formally now, although I do still have a law practice and I do a little bit of work for some uh, old clients and some friends and things. But I do watch these things closely, and a couple of years ago, when Facebook announced that they were going to have this oversight committee, oversight board, kind of a supreme court for uh, Facebook, I was invited to a meeting, uh, and I was. Um, it was a meeting that was like a um, a listening session. Okay, so there was a listening session of um, a couple of big law firms, a couple of big folks, uh, guys I know, and I, and it was they invited conservatives in. They said, you know, you need to come in. We want to hear what you think of this. So we. We're in there, and we had this briefing on what's called the the Oversight Board of Facebook, and it's a, it's a group that was um, created by Facebook as like a Supreme uh, Appeals Board. Uh, uh, Facebook funds it; they they give them one hundred and thirty or one hundred fifty million dollars. Um, and there's twenty people on the board. They were going to have forty, I think. They ended up with twenty, and they are. This is the first round of appeals that are going up to them. And so one of the key people on the on the uh, this is, is, a, is a gentleman named uh, uh, McConnell, uh, Judge Michael McConnell, former professor. I think he was a dean somewhere. And he's one of the key people. And so the Trump was taken off of Facebook and appealed. And so the, the Facebook oversight board is supposed to be independent. Uh, let me back up. So I was invited to this listening session. And we all went in and we had to sign a confidentiality agreement that we wouldn't talk about the specifics of this thing. And there wasn't really much that was confidential. It was, I think it was more a form than anything. But after the meeting, I had made a couple points and I said, you know, I'm not sure why conservatives will trust you. You know, why would conservatives trust Facebook uh, uh, and, and an oversight board? No one will really believe the board is is independent of Zuckerberg. Um, and, you know, so what, what, I don't know this is going to work, but Afterwards, uh, one of the people that was there came up to me and said, We'd like you to c- be, consider being on the oversight. Uh, we'd like you to put your name in to be considered for the oversight board. And I said, I don't really know what that means, but you can put my name in. I figured, why not ride the process out? And I, I heard very little about it after that, but it kind of went its own way. But here's what I want to tell you they're going to have their first decision on Friday, and they're going to, uh, uh, the major decision, they've done a couple of decisions, but they're going to decide about, uh, about um, the um, Trump appeal. And we're going to see what the answer is. Now, the, according to Facebook, they will be bound by the decision of the board. Yeah, I said that right. Michael McConnell is the is the former professor and a former judge. He's at Stanford Law. And then a whole bunch of other people, a bunch of lefties too, a bunch of lefties. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it's and a couple of conservatives sort of, um, but not much. And so, but now we're going to get this ruling out of um, Facebook and how how, how can they possibly do this? in a way that is serious. If they let Trump back on, which they should, he's no more controversial than any of a gazillion people and he's no longer in office. Won't Facebook erupt because of the woke culture there? If they don't let him on, they just reinforce their control. It's kind of a lose-lose. And it doesn't matter that they created this oversight board because nobody's gonna really trust that the oversight board was independent. So I guess it was a, somebody's idea of a, an exercise in, uh, in kind of trying to get some damage control. But I think it's going to be a failure. But we'll watch. We'll find that out uh, in a couple of days. They'll have their, their big ruling on Trump's uh, being put Trump, President Trump being pulled off of Facebook. All right. We will uh, be back tomorrow. Thank you, Noah, our great technical director, for keeping us on track. Joanna, for booking our guests and you for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. I'm Ed Martin. We'll be back tomorrow.